You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome one and all to episode 128 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. And we are brought to you today by GameMat.eu for pre-painted terrain and game mats. And also our beautiful, sexy, good-smelling Patreon patrons. And I greatly appreciate all of your support. Today we are talking about how I just do not understand loot crates. I don't get them. I don't get the market value of them. I don't get the allure of them. I just, I just don't understand. And then Tonka writes in, and he actually asks me, about hobby struggles, and is there anything I struggled with in the hobby, and he tells me about his struggle. And then we have the new Hail Strike, Storm Speeder Hail Strike, and the other two variants, the Hammer Strike and the Thunder Strike. And uh, that is what we've got for the Want That or Want That Not. What have I been up to? Well, it is currently snowing, and that's exciting. We're having a blizzard of about two inches at this point. And I jokingly say blizzard because we don't get that much snow but uh what did we do this week i've been working on more brutality short stories and send them to pre-readers and i was working on the brutality the second mission in the brutality module for the uh new supplement that's coming out in probably six months five months something like that and what else i've been playing a lot of board games my kids have suddenly gotten the board game bug and they're finally old enough to play board games so all those years of hanging out with my friends as a teenager and a young adult, and I had to eventually put all my board games away because my friends and I quit hanging out, my my old high school friends, and my kids were too young and all that. Well, finally, they're old enough. So that is exciting. We've been spending a lot of family time doing that, and that's really fun. I get to bust out all my old board games I used to love. And I played Age of Sigmar this week, against my friends uh, David and TJ. And TJ brought um, Slaves to Darkness, and David brought his orc orc tribes, whatever, his Iron Jaws and whatnot. And I brought Caradron Overlords, because I love my Caradron Overlords. And it actually was a really, really good game. They beat the crap out of me as far as points. They ended up... I almost tabled them. If we would have went one more turn, it's possible including Battleshock, that I could have tabled them off the board. But they ended up beating me by, I'm going to mess this up, probably four points or eight points, something like that. Four or eight points. And it was like, I'm going to try and remember here, it was like 21 to 28, I think, or something like that. And uh, they ended up beating me, and I think I just wasn't quite aggressive enough on the objectives. But I like to play ships for Caradron, and I'm always outnumbered because I don't bring a bunch of foot sloggers. So I kind of have to kill you in order to take the objectives. So I was a little too um, hesitant, I think, in order to grab the objectives, and it kind of bit me in the butt. But it was still really fun. I love my ships. I almost lost nobody. I almost lost... I lost one gun hauler, and... I lost most of an Indrin Rigor unit, and I lost my dirigible suit guy, and that was it. The rest of them, all my ships and everybody were still alive, I think. So I might be might be slightly wrong with that, but ba- most of my army, most of my points were still there. So um, that was a fun game, and 
I did another battle report for my solo campaign with my daughter Gabby for the Beast Kingdoms for Brutality. You can find our Brutality Skirmish War Game YouTube channel, or we also share the link to the Brutality Facebook page, so go check that out if you have a bunch of miniatures you want to play a, a game in. It's models agnostic and genre agnostic. But anyway, enough of that. Um, if you recall, several months ago, my listener and friend Leroy Jenkins out of spite, bought me one of the uh, random pin packets from GW. Remember how I was shitting all over them in my Want That or Want That Not review? Well, if you can hear it, I've got the package right here. It finally came in this $7 freaking random pin. So I did not open it yet. I'm going to go ahead and open it now and see what I got. This is the weirdest unboxing video because... Oh, they increased the suspense of it. So I opened up this bag, and now the pin is in a little paper book. Interesting. I have not looked at it yet. Now, before I look at this, I was going to say that the odds were is that I would spend $7 on a pin, and it would be an army that I don't play. So let's see what I got. Uh, Sisters of Battle, actually. And that's pretty cool. I like Sisters of Battle. I don't play them yet, but, uh, hey, my prophecy was right. <laughs> um, one of the guys in the store was like, hey, if you end up with the Nurgle one, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll buy it off you. I'm like, no, you can go spend $75 and try to buy all the ones you, for yourself. So, Sisters of Battle pin, pretty neat. Um, I do have some Sisters of Battle models that, uh, that I have not built or painted or primed or anything, but... Now that I'm holding this, this is a pretty neat pin. It is actually pretty nice quality. It's like a uh, brushed steel look to it. And there's got some lacquer on it. And it's got the regular backing that you'd expect. And it is the... What's it? The la Laurel? Is it the Laurel? No, it's not the Laurel. Um, Florida Lease, I think it is. The Florida Lease symbol that is the Sisters of Battle. So... That is mystery solved. I have waited four days since I got this to actually open it and see if it was something that I actually had as, for an army. Come to find out, I was correct. It is an army I don't actually play. Um, the funny thing is, I <laughs> I know that Leroy does play Sisters of Battle. So let's see if he contacts me. He's like, yo, bro, I'll buy that, I'll buy that off you. Let's see. Anyway, thank you, Leroy. I appreciate it. Uh, he heard me shit all over these, so he PayPal'd me the money and said, please buy a pin out of spite. So I had to do it. <laughs> I do hate to be supporting this random thing that GW has done. Um, like I actually mentioned later on in the episode today, um, I really do not pay like paying for random stuff. But this is a neat pin. I'll put it on one of my army transports and... Uh, might that might just spur me to actually assemble and paint some uh, Sisters of Battle. Let's get on to the next segment. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. And it's time for the Tesseract mailbox this week. We get an email at pimpcron.gmail.com from someone who signed their letter Tonka. So I'm assuming that's not their name. Maybe it is. Who knows? They write, hi there, Pimpcron. Actually, I know it's a he because of the uh, the email. So the email name was obviously not Tonka. So it says, hi there, Pimpcron. I just listened to your episode where you told the story of your couch inferno. 
I'm sorry, but I was laughing my ass off. Why would you burn a couch in your backyard? Ha ha ha. Do what a normal American does and find a country road to dump it off in the ditch. My grandfather didn't die fighting diabetes, so you can burn couches in your yard. Public dumping is a civic duty. Anyway, let's keep this game going. That story was spurred by a question, so here's another. What was something you really struggled with in the hobby, something you put off doing or didn't know how to do? For me, I have put off painting my models for two years now. I like playing the game, but the hobby bores the shit out of me. I know that not painting is like blasphemy, and I don't chase the new hotness. I just don't want to paint my models. I have better things to do, like whacking it to the Olympics. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to pour a hot tea, put some adult beverage in it, and wait to hear what you come up with. I'm enjoying this story time thing. Tonka. Alright, well, there is a lot to unpack here. Um, first off, whacking it to the Olympics. That's a very weird hobby to take place of your hobby time for the, the game. That's fine, though. You do what you want. You do you, boo. It's a free country. Your grandfather apparently fought diabetes for your right to, uh, to do that. So, um, so something that I have struggled with in the hobby, um, I can't really think well one thing is is i have put off using an airbrush for a long time number one i don't think i ever need to use a paint uh paintbrush an airbrush because i'm just comfortable dry brushing and washing and things like that so i feel like airbrushes are probably for batch painting like if you're painting a bunch of stuff at one time and i never usually am so that is one thing that does kind of quote unquote scare me in the hobby because I've never done it. So I don't know what it's like and uh, whatever. I'm never going to buy one. I don't think I don't think I'll ever get into it. So that's one thing I've kind of put off. But actually, while I'm talking here, I can actually think of something I really did put off and mess around with for a long time. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before or not, but my Tyranids... Uh, paint scheme was something that bothered me for legitimately years. I mean, years and years, probably two or three years. I didn't have a complete Tyranid paint scheme. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And in the old, I think it's fourth edition codex. I'm sorry, the fourth edition rule book for Warhammer 40 K. There's one of the GW guys had his painted like bees or wasps. And they were, like, all black Tyranids, but they had all these, like, yellow splotches and yellow stripes on them. It was like the edge of every plate was yellow. And I fell in love with that. And I tried to replicate it. And with kind of mixed success, um, something you got to worry about when you're doing a Tyranid paint scheme is that one thing that you might love on the bigger monsters doesn't necessarily translate to the little monsters as much. Because the difference in... in uh, chitin you know difference of chitinous armor whereas like a carnifex has a lot of armor on and a gaunt really doesn't he's just got that stripe down the back so it can be a big difference in the look of your army so you got to pick a paint scheme that actually fits both things and so i went from i did like four or five different paint schemes i started doing yellow yellow and black and then at one point i was doing just straight up yellow and like washing it or actually dipping it in like a wash to make it like that, just doing yellow, because I thought, oh, yellow would be an interesting and weird paint scheme. And then eventually I found, oh, why don't I why don't I do it really half-assed? And I prime it black and I just paint the shell blue. 
and that's just what I'm going to do. And then I did some other colors. I used to have a bag of jean stealers, and the, there was like eight different colored jean stealers in there. Some of them were green, some of them were red or yellow or the B color or the black and blue or whatever. And ultimately, I kind of... I had painted, I think black and blue was like the, the forerunner. And that was the one that I was kind of leaning towards, although it felt a little dull. And it wasn't until I realized, oh, you know what? I need to clear coat these guys with um glossy clear coat to make them look shiny and wet, like alien in Xenomorphs. So when I did that, that really pulled the blue and black together. And um, that made it look finished, even though it's just a clear coat. But it did give it an effect of looking finished. And then, after having that paint scheme and doing uh, a couple units, some Carnifexes, a Tranifex, a Hive Tyrant, some Gene Stealers, a bunch of stuff in that paint scheme, I decided I did not, in fact, like that paint scheme. And then I tried to go back to the B paint scheme and then found that too difficult to pull off properly because I think he probably used, like, five layers of yellow to achieve the actual colors that he got. And I am not doing five layers of yellow on a bunch of Tyranids. I'm just not doing that. So I ended up going back to the black and blue after trying for the yellow again for a second time. And now I've finally... It got to the point where I had so much tyr- to so many Tyranids painted black and blue that I actually just decided, you know what? I'm not repainting these things. This is definitely my army color now. And that's basically what I still have to this day all my tyranids are black and blue and it's a super easy paint scheme it is primed black and that's what i always go for it's super easy paint schemes because i am not spending 17 hours on one model i'm just not doing it i paint to a tabletop standard and then i stop so um it doesn't mean my lines aren't clear clean and things like that it's just that i'm not doing a, a ton of highlights so i prime the whole model black and then i paint blue the um i forget exactly what blue it is i think it's actually mccrag blue but i I put mccrag blue on all the shell parts and then any of their sides or their um claws i make the it's like hoth blue i think it is it's a light blue and then any of those little line spaces like where their skin parts and it makes like these little stripes i don't know if they're vents or what in their arms but i make those light blue and then I make the mouth like a purplish and the tongue a purple. And then I put silver on the edge of every single one of the chitin plates. And then I gloss it all with a gloss. And that is my color scheme, mostly because that was what I had the most painted and I was not going to repaint it. Now, having said that, it has grown on me in, in the years and uh, I no longer hate it, which is nice. But that is that is what I have now. And that is what I struggled with for many, many years. I don't think I've ever struggled with a paint scheme so bad as my Tyranids. And it was because a lot of the stuff came off as not looking organic. So, now this is not exactly as exciting as a couch fire, but that is basically my story of what I really struggled with in the hobby. Want that or want that not? Hey, it's time for... Want that or want that not? Yes, that's the time. Today we are covering the Storm Speeder Hail Strike. It is bigger, bulkier, and thick with two C's. That's right. It is a sexy hunk of 
flyer. It's not really a flyer. I'm sure it's probably a fast, but I don't have the codex and I don't care to look it up. So there. So when this was first leaked months and months ago, I saw a ton of gnashing of the teeth and people hated it and blah, blah, blah. So what do I think of it? To be honest with you, the Landspeeder is one of my all-time favorite Space Marine vehicles of all time. And I have always loved Landspeeders. I used to have a bunch of them before I sold off my my Space Marines. And um, I've always loved them. I don't know why. They're kind of like Sentinels. I guess they're in that same class with Sentinels. I've always loved Sentinels for Imperial Guard. And I've always loved Landspeeders. So when I saw this big honker... I love it. I have no problems with it whatsoever. It It's hard to tell exactly how large it is because of the base they have it put on. There's this big-ass round base, and I can't tell if it's a 60mm base, like for a Dreadnought, or if it's something else. Because when they have nothing to really base it off of, it makes it look bigger. It looks like this is a giant thing. But then when you look at the Space Marines sitting in it, you're like, wait a second, this can't be that big. So I think it's on a 60 millimeter base, and it's got this very weird, very thick, clear uh, flight stand for it, which is totally fine. I do really like this ship quite a bit, um, but with all, just like all the other Primaris stuff, it has a crap ton of firepower. Like, they are really, really trying to overcompensate here. Now, it looks like there's a gun underneath of it. I don't know if that's really a gun or not, but I do, I'll, I'll go with the guns that are very obvious on it. It's pictured with two, I'm going to say heavy stubbers. I think it's probably something better than that. Iron rail heavy stubbers or whatever. But it's got two heavy stubbers up top, and it's got a, I'm going to say Punisher cannon. I don't know what it is exactly. It's like a Gatling gun. And it's got two missile pods, one on each side. So, it's got three dudes in it, and it's bigger and heavier than a normal landspeeder. And I do <laughs> I do love, it actually took me a while to notice, there's two guys up front, and they're like driving, they're chilling, smoking cigarettes or whatever they're doing. And in between the two barrels up top is this dude's little head sticking up. <laughs> it tickles me so much, it really does. The thing is, is... The only way for him to get in here is through this tiny hatch in the back of the ship. So basically, this poor bastard has to crawl through on his hands and knees between the engines in the back of the ship and then sit here with his little head poking out, his little turtle head poking out. And then, God help him if he doesn't have some sort of noise canceling on his helmet because, man, his head is right between those two barrels and... Not to mention that, but those barrels are going to be getting hot. If you know anything about machine guns, if they're if they're going rapid fire, they are going to be very, very hot and loud. So this poor guy is... I don't know what to think of him. It's pretty hilarious that his little head's poking out, though. All in all, I think this is really cool. This looks like a step between a regular land speeder and, like, the... Uh, Storm Talon. This looks like a step between those two. And I'm totally fine with it. As always, it's got quite a bit of firepower, as all the Primaris stuff does. I'm really liking this new... I guess it's a grav paneling or whatever on the sides. It's the same thing the Repulsor and the other ships have. 
I really like it. I think it looks really cool. It almost looks like a sneaker tread or something. And I have no issues at all with this ship. I know, like I said, when it was first released online, people were losing their shit over this ship. And I I truly don't know why. It's, it's a pretty cool looking ship. You can also put these giant missile pods on either side of this poor guy's head as well, which was pretty funny. You can also put a Laz Talon on the front and something on both sides. I don't know what that other loadout is, but it's it's a cool ship. 65 bucks. Um 65 bucks seems a little expensive. Now, if this is the size of a flyer, which I'm assuming it's not. If this is the size of the Storm Talon, then hey, 65 bucks. I'm all right with that. Matter of fact, I'd probably get some of these. I don't know how many wounds this is going to be. I would assume eight wounds, something like that, because it's kind of chunky. I think a uh, uh, Imperial Guard Sentinel is five wounds, I think. And this should definitely be more wounds than Imperial Guard Sentinel. So I don't know about ten wounds. Ten wounds seems a little much for this, but I need to go ask my buddy Derek because he's actually got the codex. But I, I truly like this thing, and I definitely see myself getting one. And sometimes when I say like that, or want that, or want that not, when I say I want that, it's a hypothetical want that because I don't play the army, or I don't really plan to ever buy it, but, you know, I still like it. This is actually a legit want that. Matter of fact, I could see myself fielding one or two of them in my Primaris army. The problem is, is that I've kind of put my Primaris on hold for a while because everybody and their brother was playing Primaris for a while, so... I kind of put mine on hold, um, but I do like this, and I think you should go out and probably buy seven. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. Hey everybody, and welcome to Real Talk with the Pentcron, and today I wanted to discuss something that truly boggles my mind, and maybe it's because I don't come from the privilege and the wealth and the society that some of you do, but I truly do not understand the idea behind loot crates, such as things that you get every single month. So for those of you who don't know what it is, this just came across my Pemcron news desk recently because I got an ad for it. And I was like, you know what? I didn't know they did miniatures loot crates each month. And essentially what a loot crate is, is you pay for a subscription to something and you can usually set how much you want to pay, like $5, $10, $25, $100, dollars whatever the highest one I've seen goes up to $100 a month, believe it or not. And essentially what it is, is that you get an automatic shipment every single month of random shit. And of course, there's a theme to it. Like a lot of these loot crate things will do, if we're not talking about miniatures, we're talking about like Ghostbusters themed bullshit that month. And you have no control whatsoever over what you get in these loot crates you just know that you're going to be getting something each month. So in the case of miniatures loot crates, you're talking about random ass miniatures every single month to a certain amount. So one of the ones I saw was like, you pay $100 a month and you get $200 of miniatures and paints and hobby supplies delivered to your door, including shipping and all that, which is totally cool. I mean, 50% off is really cool. But if I have no say over exactly what is going to be in the package every month, then why the hell would I spend my money on it? I don't understand why anybody has that much, that much expendable income every single month 
to donate this amount of money to just random crap coming to your door. Now, all of us like packages delivered. All of us like to buy something online and, and anxiously watch the tracking on it and all that. I totally understand that. And to be honest, you'd probably forget about it. And every month you get a surprise and you're like, oh, hey, cool. This is neat. Some Kings of War models, although I play Necromunda and here's some magic cards or whatever it is, you know. Oh, here's my third pair of clippers for clipping out sprues. Neat. I'm glad I spent my money on this. I just don't understand why anybody would pay for random stuff. In the case of some things that are not miniature based, like I said, I'll use the Ghostbusters uh, example because I've seen that before. And, like, in that month, you pay, like, $25 a month or whatever, and you get random stuff from pop culture. And I'm not going to name any of these organizations out, because apparently they're pretty popular. I just don't understand it. And I saw one that was like, oh, this is Ghostbusters stuff. So that month, for 25 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever you're paying a month, you got, like, some Ghostbusters socks, a pair of Ghostbusters socks, and a Ghostbusters shot glass, and a Ghostbusters, I think a mug or something like that. And then a Ghostbusters deck of playing cards. It was Ghostbuster themes with pictures of from the movie. And to be honest with you, I am a Ghostbusters fan. I was raised with it. I grew up with it. Blah, blah, blah. I'm nostalgic for it. But even I would not go out of my way to buy a single one of those things in that loot box. It, they're they're kind of neat. I mean, if you really like festive socks, then okay, that's cool. But I have way better things to do with my money. This whole random thing that you get out of these loot crates, I don't understand why you would put money towards a random thing like that. Because you have no idea, there's no guarantee that the models that you buy or get in this loot crate are going to be even for a game that you play. And even if it is for a game that you play, how do you even know that it's going to be for your army? Like, let's say I'm a dedicated Tyranids ar army player, and I get another Space Marine lieutenant. Cool, okay, I guess I gotta give this away, or try to sell it, or something like that. It, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, to be honest. Now, one that I actually have seen that seems a little more useful than others was, I think it's called Terrain Crate. And... It essentially was just miniatures terrain every month. Now, it was random. You didn't know if it was MDF or plastic or resin or 3D printed or what. And you didn't know if it was medieval or Western or sci-fi or whatever. But at least that, I feel, had has more usefulness. Terrain is one of those things. Like, um, we actually ran into this when we were doing prizes for a local tournament in our store years ago is that we wanted to actually have a prize, like a, something that people won, not just money, not just store credit, whatever. But the problem was, is that we couldn't just do that very easily because everybody played different armies. So I think what we ended up doing, it was a 40k tournament, and I believe what we ended up doing was uh, doing an Imperial Knight, and we bought the winner an Imperial Knight because they had just come out or something like that. And that ended up being that pretty much everybody was willing to play for an Imperial Knight. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll put my $15 in and I might get a $125 Imperial Knight. But to be honest with you, the terrain idea would be much more neutral for everybody. And that's why a lot of times in our charity for Shorehammer, our charity auction, I go out of my way to buy terrain for the auction. Because miniatures are great. 
but miniatures are very specific to the customer, unless they're going to kit bash or whatever. You know, if you're going to play Age of Sigmar, you're not going to put money in for the 40k models or vice versa necessarily. But if you see terrain, I mean, unless it's extremely period specific, most terrain would work for AOS or it would work for Flames of War or it would work for a, I mean, bolt action, not not Flames of War. Um, and it would work for 40k more or less. I mean, it might be some English Tudor house or something like that, but you could still make it work in 40k. And um, so the terrain crate that I've seen, and I don't know if it's called terrain crate or not, but that actually makes a little more sense that you would pick something that actually gives you terrain each month. Now, of course, I know everybody has their own preferences between MDF or the different types, so that would be kind of an issue. But at least that's more universal, because the ones that I've seen about the miniatures, you're not just getting random miniatures, you're also getting paintbrushes and paints and glue and clippers and... Uh, sometimes even codices, you'll get a, a codex in the mail. And I'm thinking to myself, who does this? And matter of fact, maybe even more importantly, if they're doing this at like 50% off, I saw one that was you pay $100 a month. Can you even imagine $1,200 a year just literally pissed away in this random ass terrain crate or uh, random ass crate thing loot crate i should say not terrain crate and you had no idea what you're getting so a lot of times i wonder how on earth do they actually make money at this because if they're giving things off at 50 percent off i mean that is a good deal but if i have no control over what i'm buying then i don't want it so especially at that price point if, if it's a grab bag for five bucks then i might take a chance 100 bucks every month no thank you but it does make you wonder how these places do this terrain crate stuff. Because in the case of a lot of it, it's not the actually most of it. The company is not the one putting on this loot crate thing. It's, it's some third party organization doing it. So they're not even getting the stuff at cost. They're actually having to buy this merchandise from the owner of, of the IP and then they're having to sell it at 50% off MSRP. And I just, I don't understand. I think my understanding is that Games Workshop is roughly like the 60-40 as far as Games Workshop gets 60% of MSRP and the stores get 40%. And um, as far as the profit goes or whatever. But... These things, if they're doing 50%, and they do give away GW product, so I have no idea how they're doing that, unless, of course, they bought up a crap ton of Indomitus box sets or whatever, and they got them at a wholesale. Maybe that way they could do, like, Necron Warriors or the Outriders or whatever, but it just doesn't seem... A, I don't understand why the companies would do this, because 50% of, uh, 50 off MSRP does not seem like they're making any money or they're making very little money. And for people that have literally $1,200 to spend, my old friend Bliggity Blam Steve, 
he likes to spend money. He if there's a D D and D module that's come out in the last thirty years, he owns an original copy of it. He's actually gone through and bought all of the old original sets of the TSR stuff, and um, a lot of them are still in shrink wrap, like the original starter sets and all that. And he just likes to collect. He collects a shit ton of stuff. He has more Warhammer. I kid you not. He has more Warhammer than anybody you have ever met in your entire life. And he has not played Warhammer in probably three years. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, this this guy likes to spend money. So, the point is, is that I was over at his house a couple years ago, and he got this loot crate thing in the mail. And he's like, oh, yeah, this loot crate, neat. And he didn't even open it. And I'm like, aren't you going to open your loot crate? Like, aren't you excited about it? And he's like, oh, I get it every single month. And it's probably shit anyway. And I'm like, wait, wait a second. You're paying monthly for something that you probably won't like. And he's like, well, sometimes, you know, there'll be some neat pins in it or something like that. And that's pretty cool. So occasionally it's something neat, but mostly it's garbage. And I'm like, okay, then that makes complete sense why you would spend however much money it was a month on this loot crate thing. I just truly do not understand it. So my best estimation is that loot crates are subscribed to by people with far too much money on their hands. And it's ran by companies that I'm assuming are just shoving off their overstock on you. You know, like any product line in a store is going to have, let's just think, 100 different items, let's just say. Warhammer sells 100 different units. And then, you know, a good 25 to 50% of them are going to be good sellers. And then the other 50% or 25% are going to be kind of crappy. And you're, they're just going to warm shelf space. So the loot crate thing does seem like it might be a good idea for vendors to have these things basically as an outlet for the items that don't sell well. Because I would find it very hard to believe that a vendor would make a loot crate scenario and get you to subscribe to it for 50% off. And then they would give you models that sell really well and they could get full MSRP off of. I find that extremely hard to believe. So in conclusion, by my best estimation, you will be spending a lot of money for some random shit that you may want or you may not want, or you may need, or you may not need. It's completely a crapshoot. And whatever you get that you don't use or want is now your problem that you have to get rid of or you have to sell or you have to throw away. I mean, even throwing it away is too much effort because you paid for this item. So you're getting random crap in the mail each month. And these guys that hold this definitely are not putting the primo top stuff in it. You're never going to get a Gilliman or an Abaddon or a Silent King or you're never going to get that in one of these boxes. So I don't understand why you would ever subscribe to them. If you do subscribe to a Loot Crate and you have reasons why you would do that, please message me on pimpcron at gmail.com, facebook.com slash pimpcron, because I just do not get this in the least. Maybe I'm too frugal, maybe I'm too old school, but this is really one of the turnoffs, this random bullshit you get in the mail, is the same reason why I never preferred to play Magic or hero clicks like competitively, keeping up with the meta and all that. And when I do build a magic deck, or when I do buy hero clicks, 
I just go in the secondary market and buy them. And yes, sometimes they're outrageous prices, but at least I know exactly what I'm getting and I'm not wasting money. For everything that I'm buying at a market rate higher than what I could have gotten it for, I'm probably still saving money because I don't have A, piles of things laying around like hero clicks that I didn't want. And B, I don't have to keep buying booster packs, booster packs, booster packs until I finally get exactly what I want. I'm just buying what I want. Matter of fact, that's why I'm so direct and so... Uh, I know exactly what I want and I want to get it right now is that I almost never actually do auctions on eBay. I almost always do buy it now. Even if the buy it now is a little more expensive, I want to buy it now. I don't want to go through the whole process of bidding and watching it and bidding again, blah, blah, blah. And then a week goes by, the auction ends, I don't get it, and I still don't have the thing that I wanted. I'll just buy it now. Call me a party pooper. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to this, and we are sponsored by GameMat.eu and the beautiful, sexy, good-smelling Patreon patrons. Thank you so much. I will see you next week.